G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. G'day, I'm Rowan Connolly. And I'm Mark Fine. We are here to wrap up a big round 11 of AFL football. How are you, Finey? I'm well. It was a predictable round of football until the death. It was, it was. We had the uh, interesting setup. We had the top nine playing the bottom nine. Basically went according to script. Um, the closest game of the round, the round, uh, the game between, what, uh, 9th and 10th. Um, but last game of the round, uh, GWS finally finding something and upsetting Adelaide in Adelaide and has thrown a sizable spanner in the Crows' works, nonetheless. They are uh, temporarily, at least, outside the eight. Look, it was closing in on their last chance to be a meaningful player for the year, the Giants, so it was a telling result for both clubs. I think at the other end of the ladder, meanwhile, the wheat definitely being sorted from the chaff. Um, we've got, you may beg to differ, your own side were uh, putting a, a pretty decent performance over in the West. We, however, halfway through the season, we have three teams each with one win. So uh, that whole thing about the even competition, I'm beginning to have my doubts, personally. Well, just from St Gilda's perspective, they will claim a lot of scalps in the second half of the year. I mean, their confidence was down early on in the season. Very different side when Membry's kicking goals instead of points. And, uh, yeah, so maybe that indicator is um, not necessarily important for things to come. But you are right. Things do separate quickly in football. And in terms of teams being alive, well, you know, I think we're, I think we're down to 10. Yeah, I agree. We're going to drill down on every game now in detail. It's time for the wraparound. Okay, three feature games, a little more detail on them, but we will address every game this round. Let's start with Saturday afternoon down in Launceston and Hawthorne's thrilling three-point win over Port Adelaide. Finding a lot of people may blanch at the use of the word thrilling, because whilst it was close, it wasn't necessarily a great game of footy. However, I thought uh, a terrific effort by the Hawks after getting uh, jumped a little at the start. And I thought a terrific effort by Port to jump them at the start. And uh, on our podcast that we uh, conducted on Thursday, I tipped Port. I don't think many people did tip them. And no. Look, it is hard. It was hard yards, wasn't it? Coming back from China, obviously, that's it's not a holiday, but it's a, it's an unusual break. And then having to... Re, reset themselves, not physically, but very much mentally, to go to Tasmania. I came back from China and performed. Great. Did a good show, too. Uh, were you like Port? <laughs> <laughs> were you like Port Adelaide? Did you do really well right until the end when it mattered and then let 
your supporters Get down. On with it. You started it. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I thought it was a really good job for them. I think people would have thought if there's um, ring rust, it was going to be early in the game. But they yeah. took the game up early to the Hawks. And look, it was. How do you play Tom Mitchell? I, I, you know, Tom Mitchell was highly influential when Hawthorne were not highly influential. Yeah. Now, some people will say that you let him gather those possessions and work around it as long as he's not impacting the scoreboard. But he also kicked a couple of goals. And the fact is, Port Adelaide have the sort of physical midfield that I think one of those players could have been assigned an unusual job and taking him out of the game, and they would have won that game. Well, it was interesting, that duel, because um, Powell Pepper, who's yep. done a pretty good job, he couldn't curtail Mitchell. He, he racked up 21 to half time. Yes. And then Tom Rockcliffe went on to him, and Rockcliffe actually kept him quiet. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, it, and, that, yet, and yet the Hawks won. Well, I, a lot of people will point to that and say, well, Tom Mitchell's influence was curbed and they won the game, but I think Port had they just kept him out of the game in the first half, would have been off to the races and uncatchable. Well, they had, um, gee, they had turnover issues, the power. And I was a bit surprised with that. I thought their ball use was better than that. I, I think you've got to now ask a few questions about how they go under um, severe physical pressure because the Hawks really applied that well and Port uh, suffered by, um, by extension of that so much. So I think their inside 50s were under 40. It was only 38 or 39 inside 50s. And the Hawks, they just, I don't know, look, I don't know if it's a hangover of having seen them through the 1980s and Peter McKenna's old line, you can't write the Hawks off, but gee, they, they always seem to find something, I reckon, in tight situations, and, and they did it again. Um, great team effort. I love uh, McAvoy and the Ruck. I think he's a, a terrific soldier for them. Um, still can't believe your mob let him go. Sean Burgoyne, Always bobs up when you need him to with a bit of extra class. I uh, thought James Sicily, again, terrific in defence. And Port, look, they should be better placed than they are. I'm beginning to have a few uh, doubts about where they might be in the scheme of things. Would Port Adelaide have been better served to, given that they had a really good start in the game, would they have been better served to get Robbie Gray on the ball later on in the game? Well, possibly, although, I mean, you know, one of the reasons for picking up the likes of Rockcliffe is to enable Gray to play forward more, and he's really damaging. He kicked yeah. four goals. Oh, no, he was great. He was great. But yeah. just at the death knock, yeah. you know what I mean? He's, he, well, he, he is somebody who can play either position so yeah. well. Oh, no doubt, and Wingard's another one. Maybe you can make the same argument with him. But, um, yeah, they're in an interesting situation now, the power. I think uh, they need to find something sooner than later. And, and the Hawks uh, back in the finals hunt. Okay, game two, dream time at the G, and uh, what a flop this was. Now, not um, casting any aspersions on Richmond's win. They were sensational. Back to their absolute juggernaut-like best, 17-12-114. Smashed a pretty inept-looking Essendon 6-7, 43 finally. I was there, suffered through it, um, whilst acknowledging how good the Tigers were. Um, look, I, I think... Really, this was a side back at the top of its game against a side who has had a couple of good weeks, but this is a real wake-up call for the Bombers, I think, because after wins over Geelong GWS, I think there are a number of people, not just within the club, but in the punditry, sort of going, OK, you watch the Bombers now, crank it up. Well, they tried to crank it up, and Richmond wouldn't let him crank it up. And I'll tell you what, being there really gives you a great perspective too on just how good the Tigers' pressure game is. 
they just set up a wall behind the ball and time and time again, Essendon were hurried into trying to clear their defensive 50 and just turned it over. In fact, I've got some numbers on the turnovers. Richmond's final score, 17-12-114. of that score, or a total of 89 points, was from turnovers. Now, their average for points from turnovers this season is 72. The AFL average for points from turnovers is 51.6. They, so they, as good as doubled the AFL average for scores from turnovers. No one both forces and capitalises on a turnover better than the Tigers. And if they play like that, they will beat anyone. I don't care who gets in their way. They will beat anyone playing as good a defensive game as that. They were fantastic. Essendon were gone really early in this game when one realised that exactly as you described, the the grip was on, the boa constrictor had its prey and was knocking the stuffing out of it. But Richmond have, while, whilst this happens, a lot of Richmond players invest and take away from their own natural instincts to, to create this defensive wall, to keep it tight and in close. And then Richmond can unleash two or three, three or four impact players, explosive Mm. players. And if they're on, well, they're going to win because it's sort of like the game, it doesn't grind down with the rest of the players, but it's hard for players of both teams to move the ball until Martin got it, until Caddy got it. And until Edwards got it in his best game of the season. Well, Caddy now 10 goals in the last two weeks. Absolutely valuable forward. Butler chipped in with a couple. They had 10 individual goal kickers. You know, they, they tick all the boxes. Rewalt had one of his quietest games yep. for ages, and it, it barely mattered. Because Maybe shouldn't have played after the concussion? Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. I hadn't thought of that, to be honest. But look, he, he, he just had a quiet one. But Can I use a term for Essendon's forward line? In this game, it's dysfunctional. A, no, it's an old-fashioned term. They seem to have a lot of the old prop and cop forwards, sort of standing with the, you know, McKernan, just standing with their buttocks out, you know, yeah. waiting for the one-on-ones. Well, don't start me on the um, that uh, Hurley Martin one-on-one and the McKernan Rance one-on-one. Well, hang on. That look, Hurley was Hurley went to Caddy. You know, Caddy got caught. Hurley was it Caddy that caught him with that dropping the ball? Uh, no, no, he was tackled. I've forgotten who tackled him, but Caddy got pounced on it. Yeah, Caddy got the goal. Kenny no, I'm talking goal. about the free kick goal that Martin got uh, for the free paid against Hurley when Hurley beat him in the one-on-one. That was... that was. Um, and Alex, good to, it's good to be the king. And Alex Rance's Oscar for the dive when yeah. Sean McKernan marked. It's good, anyway. to, it's, good, no, it's good to be the king. It's good to be the Brownlow medalist or whatever. That one with Hurley looked terrible on TV, but we spoke off air. The goal. Yeah, because he was just caught... Deer in the headlights. Yeah, he had, he had nothing. But, but when you're at the ground, it's different, yeah. isn't it? Oh, no, look, he could see. He had nothing in front of him, and I don't necessarily blame him for that one, although he is absolutely devoid of confidence at the moment, and um, yeah, I think it uh, could be a big omission looming if he continues to play like that. Look, beyond that, um, some kudos to Jake Stringer. thought he was clearly yep. Essendon's best. Thought Adam Saad played a really good game as well and, and offered a bit. But See, there was a great piece of play. They missed Zararakis when he got injured. Uh, yeah, he's got a the shoulder was coming yeah, in. Yeah, A double tackle. And yeah. that really, that can be almost um, symbolic of a game, can't it? And I know that as football fans, we see it. The mm. players probably don't. But uh, it happened when St Kilda made the grand final in 97. Two players double-teamed McKernan, got him down. Yeah. Now, Richmond brutalised Essendon. Yep. Essendon, apart from not being good enough... 
certainly aren't physically strong enough. So uh, plenty of thinking to do for the Bombers. Great win for the Tigers. They have to be back in flag favouritism, I would have thought. Okay, third game of the round and the upset of the round. And in terms of quality, pretty hard to go past this as the best game of the round. GWS prevailing by 16 points over Adelaide. Their first ever win in Adelaide, 14-13-97. Defeated the Crows, 11-15-81. Even better, finally, because after leading virtually the whole night, they relinquished the lead within three minutes of the last quarter. Goals to Josh Jenkins, uh, got another goal to Fogarty. Crows hit the front by two points. Wouldn't have been a person in Australia outside the Giants who wouldn't have thought, OK, here we go, the Crows are going to steady and go on to a pretty good win. In- instead, they steeled themselves the Giants. Jeremy Cameron bobbed up, kicked two of the last three goals, Langdon another one, and they keep their finals hopes alive. Absolutely critical win by them. A sign of the pressure too, which has been sadly absent for the Giants most of the year. They were up in the tackle count by 20 at half time. Now, in terms of the differential rankings on the tackle count, they, I think, before this round were ranked about 10th, negative 1.2 or something. So phenomenal pressure effort from them. And if they can continue to bring that, clearly, given the talent on that list and players gradually coming back from injury, they're back in the ball game. 20 was a key number at half time. 16 free kicks to four in favour of Adelaide. Mm. And they were 20 free kicks given, but... 20 would have been a generous headcount of the number of GWS fans at the ground. Now, why is that relevant? Because when you are... The raw factor. Correct. When you are part of the... When you're playing for the team that has no support and you're starting to feel as though the umpires are, for various reasons, we've heard this all explained before, affirmation, um, inexperience, etc., riding the crest of a local wave, the team desperate to get back in the game, you can imagine how hard it would have been to withstand that wave that came at them. Bets, you said it, that everybody would have expected Adelaide to come over the top. Now, Adelaide a bit unlucky in that here's a team that is down on personnel, but more importantly down on confidence, and that game against Melbourne in the centre of Australia was a catastrophe for them. Mm. Don Pike just glaring at them at three-quarter time, not speaking to them. To, you know, just fury. And they get GWS the week they finally re-engage. But that's football. You know, Adelaide had to be up for the battle. All other factors favoured them, mm. and they couldn't mount a winning response. Well done to Jeremy Patton, uh, sorry, Jeremy Cameron, and also General Patton. Yeah, because, no, he's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, influential, farther away from goal in the first half. I thought he and Coniglio were... Brilliant. Well, not just Cornelio either. I mean, have a look at the... Uh, Shield has been a bit off his game lately. Mm. He bobbed up with 30 disposals. Or Ben Affleck, as you like. Uh, ben Affleck. He, he does have a certain resemblance to Ben Affleck. And Lockie Whitfield, 26. So the stars stood up. Cameron, Shield, uh, Josh Kelly, second game back, mm. 31. He's, he's a gun. So, look, your stars fly. You bring the pressure. It can do remarkable things. And no one would say they're not capable of turning their season around. Got doubts about other sides below them on the ladder. Yes. Not them. On talent, In terms of talent, they have to be a big chance of reviving their season, I think. Star watch, player down for Adelaide that yeah. could have won them the game today, Sam Jacobs. Yes, yes, struggling. Yeah. Um, Gibbs, really good, 36. Yep. Matt Crouch, 36. Not sure no, if he's... Not great influence. No, I'm not one. sure if he's having the same impact that he did. 
Uh, Weird 30 always gets a lot of touches. Look, I'm I'm cutting the Crows a bit of slack. The injuries have really taken a toll. As they get some of those players back, I think they'll improve. But the fact is, right at the moment, they are outside the eight. Okay, they played GWS, who we know all season have had those problems. Yep. All right, there are our feature games for this week. Let's move on to the rest of the cards. Started, of course, Friday night up at the SCG. And you've never heard so much, um, what's the word, uh, cynicism about a Friday night game in your life, Finey. It actually wasn't too bad. I thought the Blues uh, gave a pretty reasonable effort. I hope that doesn't sound condescending, but I thought their effort most of the night was pretty good. And the Swans, it was another one of those Swans do enough in a bit of a slog games, getting over the line by 30 points in the end. Um, not sure if it's a great sort of, um, what's the word, signal of how good a side they can be this year. Just sort of getting the job done at the moment. How do you see it? No, I, th- I think Sydney would be very pleased with Heaney's performance. Oh, yeah. yeah I know you're a fan year. of Callum Sinclair's. Yeah, I'll get to that. Carlton would have been wrapped with Jack Silvani in the first half, would have mm. been confused and disappointed by him in the second. There, your two Silvanis, the very good one and the absent one. Patrick Cripps is a worry. Not because he's not a great player, because he gets targeted, he's doing two men's job and his body is, is suffering for, for, the, for that. Mm. It's just very hard for this young man week in, week out to be the inside mid, the catalyst, the dynamo and the driver and his body's paying the penalty. Well, actually on that too, another bonus for the Swans. They've discovered a pretty good run with player in George Hewitt, I think. Yeah, he did very. Look, he did well, but again... Did well against uh, Tom Mitchell or the Hawks, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they, these things, they come and go in waves, don't they? You mm. think you've got one. Yeah. And then, luckily, champions and good players are able to find a way around a lot of the taggers in football. So, hopefully, Hewitt stays in the team, but hopefully he doesn't take out too many stars because we love the stars. All right, let's move on. Uh, Saturday afternoon, Etihad Stadium. Pretty comprehensive win to the Demons, 15-10-100. Defeating the Bulldogs, 7-9-51. Two things out of this finey uh, for me. First, um, if there were doubts about Melbourne, this is the sort of game they'd be uh, bested in. Um, you know, you could see the Bulldogs getting their act together. At Eddie had Melbourne go into their shells, um, sort of get hit hard early, and and oh no, what's going to happen? Well, the Dogs, as they did last week, came out firing. First three goals of the game, the Demons responded by half time, had a, a pretty decent lead, and just built on that. Thereafter, they are the real deal, definitely, and pretty handy key forward duo Hogan and Tom McDonald. Nine goals between them, plus that array of medium-sized goal kickers. Hard at it. We know their contested ball numbers have been through the roof, so they are the real deal. Second takeaway for me: the Bulldogs. It's been one of the most dramatic falls from grace by a premiership side I can ever remember. Now, sure, we've seen sort of one-offs over the years, but this is—they're going to miss the finals two years in succession after winning a flag. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, it is a, I guess, a mathematical fact. It's a reality that they won the flag in 2016, but this is not a premiership team. It's not a finals team. You know that I've been on the case that I don't think they've been well, not bad. Managed. Well managed in terms, of their, in terms of their lineup. So here's a side... Now, this is a really strange thing. They were top-heavy and awkward yesterday with Boyd and Shackie and Roughhead. They look 
they looked to me at times large and clumsy, yet they were annihilated in the ruck. Mm. So here they are. They're too big and they're too small all on the same weekend. Um, unfortunately for Melbourne, look, they were three goals down deep into the first quarter. And you know what? I think this is the week they lost their chance to win the flag, unfortunately. Oh, with Jake Weaver. He's out for the year. Yeah, it's an ACL. Should obviously negligent of me to not mention Oh, no. No, I'm just saying that I think... I think they can win it without him. Yeah, I don't think they can. I think think now McDonald's, that luxury will be stretched by some teams. And you're right, you're right. It's a great duo up forward. But does that... Have we... Have we seen that impacted on Will Tom severely? have to go backwards? Yeah. Uh, At some backwards. point. Yeah, well, back. possibly. Back. Backwards? No, yeah. no, I mean, they're, they're pointing to Josh... Is it Josh Smith to fill the void yeah. in the back line? Yeah. But th- I think that is to preserve that forward line strength and... When push comes to shove, we might see Tom head back at some point in time. No, the lever injury is a big one, no doubt about that. Okay, let's move up to the Gold Coast, where the Cats had a massive 85-point win, 17-19 to 4-12. Uh, just two goals in either half for the Suns. And dare I use a really bad China sort of pun after the Shanghai game, but they have hit the wall, finally. I think 10 I- weeks of travel... Um, has taken a toll and... Uh, no, you're making excuses. They were, no, I just wanted to use the war. The war. Okay. Okay. I've watched this game in full. They did this a couple of times last year, Gold Coast. I don't like saying this at all. There are guys that were not Haven't invested in it. Absolutely not. They are. This is... And I, you know what? I'm sort of happy for Rodney E because... And I'm not, you know... And wanting, being hello to Stuart, too. No, I'm not, I'm, not, Stuart. I'm not wanting I'm ill on Stuart, but, you know, they're... Was there a sense maybe that he was... The Messiah. Inca- no, that something about Rodney was incapable of driving these men to the bare minimum of effort? No, there's something in the makeup of this list. No, this was horrible. Look, there's going to be some thrashings because of availability. I urge football fans to actually watch this game in full and see... When you talk about, oh, you know, my team let me down, they didn't put in effort, you know, teams put in effort normally. Watch this game to see what happens when a team doesn't put in effort as a measuring stick. Yeah, well, it was over very early in the piece. That's often a good indicator. All right, uh, absolute smashing there. And what most people thought would be a smashing but actually wasn't, pretty credible effort by your Saints finally going down by just 13 points to the Eagles. Of course, some concerns there about Jack Darling. Pretty accurate. In fact, both sides, very accurate. 16-5-101 defeated 14 for 88. What's that? 30 goals, 9. Yep. Yeah, that's a conversion rate we haven't seen much of in the last couple of years of footy. 6 to Josh Kennedy. Had to step up with uh, Darling injured and did. And 6 goals. Thankfully, finally uh, finding the big sticks, Tim Membry for the Saints. But uh, Membry, obviously, good performance. I know uh, you're a wrap for uh, Jack Sinclair's game and you'll go into that in more detail. But... Uh, where are the Saints at? Last two weeks have been very encouraging without getting the points. Uh, really pleasing for St Kilda to have promoted some players for their first taste of football and they've been rewarded. St Kilda, Red Phillips holds his place in the team. Bailey Rice in his first game was exposed a bit, but uh, he actually got a couple of um, sort of game impact injuries that he came back from, it, an ankle and a bit of a knock, but he played quite well. Uh, again, you'd need to watch the game to understand what I'm talking about here. And this is not an aggrieved St Kilda supporter. St Kilda were the better team. 
they sometimes you go over to the West and I guess with the big build-up Indigenous round, a crowd that had no St Kilda supporters, pre-game ceremony, St Kilda <coughs> was served up on a platter. There were free kicks given and a mark given to Nat and Nui in a 50 in the first quarter of the game that was atrocious. And St Kilda were brilliant in that last quarter. They rattled at them. They, with five minutes to they were go, never going to have enough time to win yeah, it, were they? Yeah, yeah. You reckon? About six minutes ago, they were four goals down. Yeah. But they were just had all of the ball constantly. Now, if you watch the game, and I really do mean this, that's how St Kilda played for the entire game. But uh, for periods of that game, they were... Um, you know, they were on the receiving end of, of a rough run of freeze. Kennedy kicked six. He kicked three in short order in the third quarter. And I urge anybody to watch that three goals burst and tell me that St Kilda weren't unlucky. Okay, one word answer. They've won one and a half games yep. in the first half of the year. How many games will they win in the second half of the year? They'll finish on six and a half wins thereabouts. So five. Yeah, they'll, okay. they'll go 50-50. That'd be a reasonable effort given yeah. where they are now. All right, let's move on. Uh, Sunday afternoon at Etihad Stadium and the Roos. Are they one of the stories of the year or what? Okay, they're only playing Brisbane, but uh, did they rack up a score? 21-15, 141, smashing Brisbane, 12-15, 87. The goal kickers, well, how many goal kickers here? Three, six, eight, ten. 12, 14, 14 individual goal kickers, yep. Zeeble three, but then twos to Brown, Atley, McDonald, Wright, Jacobs, singles to Higgins, Wood, Simpkin, Goldstein, Williams, Hartung, Tarrant, Cunnington. Tom Murphy made his debut after Jared Waite was a, a last-minute um, withdrawal. Imagine that, being told you're going to play your first game of league footy yeah. five minutes before the well, game. Well, it's sort of good in a way, isn't it? You don't have time for the nerves to creep in. But, uh, geez, they're playing some great football. There's a real fluency about them. They're a much better team defensively, very hard at it. They build well out of the back half as well, and they're dangerous up forward. Guys like Atley's having a really good season. Sean Higgins is a superstar. He was beautiful. And Ben Cunnington, is, you know, he's had some, played some really good footy, but this is probably his best season. Um, Paul Hearn we'll talk about, but he's been good for him too. And speaking about runs home, North's uh, draw is as favourable as anyone's. They're going to play finals. Strange game, a little bit counterintuitive, this, because they were at their very best, North Melbourne, when Brisbane had 22 players to rotate. But as the game wore on, not late in the game, you know, by half-time and just after, Brisbane were down to 19 men, mm. and McLuggage and Achilles, Christensen, victim of a drive-by, Yep. Cameron, yep. an ankle-type yep. situation. And from that point, Brisbane were very competitive. Yeah. But it was, um, pleasingly for North, when it was 22 v 22, you know what North were like today? North were like the bloke, you and me, just, you know, strugglers when we were singles, I guess. Not strugglers, just went out. Not good enough. Speak for yourself, Arnie. I never... I didn't struggle either. I didn't say struggles. I, I didn't struggle. Not good enough-looking <laughs> blokes to walk into a room... And girls just to turn around and say, I've got to be with him. We had to work. Mm. And we could work. We liked our work. Correct. But... We were good at our work. When we were confident... Long time When we were confident, we felt like we were the best-looking bloke, and we'd win, and mm. win and win. In fact, how about we go down to a tunnel after we finish shooting? Oh, no, I think the right. tunnel's on close. Oh, that's right. I think <laughs> that closed about 1998. But, but what I'm saying is North are now... They're no different... They're not a vastly different team to last year. No. But they've... Had a couple of successes at the tunnel. But yeah, they have. Key, key stat, though, Fonny, and I, I know I banged on and on and on about this. They won six games last year. They also lost five by a total of 14 points. All right, but losing makes you feel ugly. I'm just saying yeah, that they, but they people weren't... underestimated that. But after those losses, 
it started to affect their psyche. And they did not play great football. I saw a game between St Kilda and North last year mm. that was horrible. Yeah. North are not going to play a game like that this year. No. With, with roughly the same people. There is a confidence mm. and a belief in each other. Yeah. It, it's no, there's no second guessing. There's no, I've got the ball and I'm kicking to, no, I don't want to kick to him. I want, yeah. yeah. This is instinctive and it's great to watch. And, yeah, no, they're great to and, watch. And at the heart of it are players that a lot of people thought were done. Goldstein has yeah. had a very good season. Yeah, well, Scotty Thompson's been really good. Wake's Ex- been really Ex- good. Here, here. Yep. And so, uh, Billy Hartung, good pickup. So you know, there's a lot of different sources for it, but it's all come together beautifully. I'll say this. They're going to play finals. Yeah, well, they are. No, I'm saying they're going to play finals and with that forward line, they could claim any scalp in the final. Any. Remember, they, they ran Richmond to 10 points. Yep, yep. All right, we've got one more game to discuss, and uh, this was uh, a bit inevitable and a bit of a smashing too. Unfortunately, Collingwood 21-12-138, smashed Frio 12-5. 77, plenty of goals for the Pies. Six to Will Hoskin Elliott. Aren't those medium-sized goal kickers invoked? Brody Majchek makes his debut and kicks four. Got to be happy with that. Josh Thomas I'm, three. I'm so glad for him. He's a really good. He was a backman at Port Melbourne. Yeah, and oh. I really liked him. I'm I'm wrapped for him because he's a son of jumping Jack Majchek. Finding key player in who seventy eight. He, he wasn't a key player, but he came off the bench and gave Essendon a memorable win over the Tigers in nineteen seventy eight. Same day that Paul Vanderhoe came back from a broken bone in his neck. However, have you I ever digress. seen two people look a son look less like a? No, a, it doesn't look anything like jumping Jack. Who was a fiery redhead. But look, the Pies, um, Tom Phillips, geez, he's one of the most improved players in the competition, surely. Could always get it, but now he's using it with yeah. aplomb. Yeah. Yeah, what, he's good. So what do we recommend the Pies? I did uh, incur the wrath of a few Magpie people last week by saying I still didn't think they were anything special. Yeah, do we think they're going to play finals? Uh, look, it's great that they're in the mix, but mm. their forward line just can't be relied upon week in, week out. Um it scored well today. Maybe my trip can be a point of difference. But it's just when they're kicking it up to sort of uh, Cox and Reed that you're not 100% sure. Because you've seen it not work. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you on that can, one. Can, well, I, can I just make an observation? Quickly, yeah. Look, I know these dream... I love those dream time jumpers. I've said so during the week. Mm. But there's still a need to be conscious of the clash, mm. clash jumpers. You thought they were too similar? Oh, that was terrible. Black and white, but a lot of white, you know. Mm. But so, And then white with some sort of markings on it. This is a team that wears purple. They should have gone purple yeah, with white. Predominantly purple. They were kicking up to the pack, and I just could not identify anybody. All right, very quickly, speaking about purple, where are they at? Because I'm not convinced by this rebuild at all. I, I, to me, they oh. look more and more like a side that's not going anywhere much. Oh, I've never seen it. I've never... Had a look at a team that I knew less players in. I've said it before about them, and they found four more that I could barely identify. Okay, so you think the rebuild is going all right? Well, you have to start. You can't just put all the kids on together because you're going to get beaten every week. You have to start having a vision of what your better best 25 is, your best 30 is. Yeah. Um, and and they dropped or or rested or didn't play over a thousand games of experience. Mm. Well, that's what happens when you just throw kids to the wolves. Yeah, and I don't like I don't like this thing about oh we'll just give away the games on the road. I mean, yeah, been, yeah, their right. average no, no. losing margin on the road this year before today was fifty four points. Now yeah. now it goes up again. I mean, it's just it's not good enough. If I was a supporter of them. I I don't reckon that's a very good message to be sending out. But that's exactly it. Their supporters are quite happy just watching them play well at home. They're almost playing to the crowd. 
Yeah. It's a pretty ordinary way to go about it. I've yeah. never heard of it in footy. It's really good pick up by you because they are giving away the road. Yeah. Almost saying we get a full house every week. You see, it's very different here. You can't play like that in Victoria yeah, and get because away no one's it. going to turn up the next yeah. week. Well, maybe maybe that's symptomatic. The tickets of, are pre-sold. Maybe that's symptomatic of um, some of the issues that uh, beset our game, which we may expand on in more detail at some later stage. That is all nine games done and dusted. Time now for hot or not. Rightio, you know how it works, Finey. Three likes or dislikes out of the round of football. I'm kicking us off. I'm going with a hot. His name, Callum Sinclair. I reckon he has been fantastic, the big Swans ruckman. He's been a, a figure a little maligned over the years. Some people think he hasn't been hard enough at it. Um, I think he's really up the ante on the aggression front. But just as a valuable ruck asset and a guy who can go forward and kick goals, he's been enormous for him this year. Fantastic game Friday night against the Blues. 22 disposals, kicked two goals, lost the hit-out battle with Matthew Cruiser, but had far more impact around the ground. And given that um, Naismith went over pre-season, that was a pretty crucial injury for him. He really had to stand up for him, and he has. I, I think he's become structurally one of the most critical handful of players in the Swans lineup, and his performances are backing it up. He's been terrific. Correct, 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 correct. Um, Throw in Tippett, obviously, retiring yep. uh, off the list after the announcement of official lists. And I'm not even sure who their next Ruckman is. So a lot of it falls to Callum Sinclair. Some weeks he breaks even and some weeks he dominates. Yeah. And that's against a, a, a really strong band of current AFL Ruckman. So here, here. And it was a, a tribute to him too. The Blues really targeted him early in that game and he just sucked it up and kept going and, and definitely won the battle and helped them win the game. Just on that Ruck duel, can I ask you a question about Matthew Cruiser? You can. Look, I've umpired a bit of football, a lot of football, and if he was rucking in a game where I was umpiring and I didn't know it was Matthew Cruiser... I'd pay a free against him every time he was in a centre ruck contest. He always, in the centre ruck contest, looks at the opposition ruckman first. He then sort of bounces off that ruckman and then looks up at the ball. And that's a sure giveaway for most umpires that you're taking out the other ruckman. If there's any contact between Cruiser and the other ruckman, I'm surprised he gets away with it, given he looks straight at him. All right, I'm going to go back and look at the tapes. Your turn. When you said Sinclair, I thought you'd read my notes. No, which, oh, you're going another Sinclair. Yeah, Sinclair's Jack Sinclair. He was um, omitted from a team that wasn't winning games about five weeks ago. And actually, Sinclair got it wrong. Alan Richardson got it wrong with Alan Sinclair, Jack Sinclair. Alan Sinclair is Callum Sinclair's father, by the way. Played for Fitzroy and Sinclair. Jack Sinclair finished last year in great form and did so as a midfielder. Started this year, and for some reason, Alan Richardson played him back in his original position down in the forward line, where his great skill, evasive skills, uh, they just don't work for him. He's a good sidestepper. He's got a touch of the Robert Harvey about him. Anyhow, since returning to the uh, St Kilda senior lineup, last two weeks, close to St Kilda's best in far improved performances against Richmond and West Coast. And, you know, save for Membry's six goals, he was close to best on ground against the West Coast Eagles. In fact, I reckon he was best on ground. So a really 
Thumbs up to that, Sinclair, as well. At the complete opposite end of the, end of the uh, physical scale from your Callum. A double hot Sinclair. All right, not for me. It is uh, more a philosophical one, this tepid last quarters. I've seen far too many games this year where a side is poised to put the foot to the throat and uh, build up the percentage, but they inevitably back off, uh, spell a couple of stars on the bench, the opposition might get a few cheap goals and they just hold the fort. Indeed, often uh, sort of allow a bit of that margin to be gobbled up with victory safely in their keeping. Now, I understand why they're doing it, but it doesn't make for a great spectacle, Finey. The Collingwood-St Kilda game a few weeks ago, probably a pretty good example of that. Even um, over the weekend, uh, or West Coast leading your Saints Absolutely pretty handily. Absolutely not. Okay. Completely. <laughs> Did you... You couldn't have caught the game. Well, not a lot of it, because no. I was at the other game. They were very lucky to win, and St Kilda rattled at them, and there was enough time, actually, for St Kilda to win that game. Was there? Yep. All right. Okay, well, I'll give you the game I was at. Yep. At the same time, Richmond had Essendon poised for a 100-point shellacking, uh, only kicked two in the last quarter. I think Dusty spent a fair bit of time on the bench. Bombers only kicked one, and uh, I don't know, I just reckon there's been more than a few drab games this year but in those drab games I think the last quarters of those drab games have been even worse so that's my not hot for this week your Look, turn I agree go and watch Melbourne they seem to like finishing games off in the best possible way stop shooting me down and do your second hot or not oh, okay you're going to enjoy this one <laughs> okay um, the Hannah Mouncey sideshow yep in fact yeah I, I've got great concerns about it in what regard? Why are we having it? What have we added to the story from last year? <clears throat> and believe me, it was a big story, no question. Mm. This is absolutely not about the rights of LGBT individuals, nor is it about the rights of football competitions, various, to administer themselves in a manner that they see, most importantly, is safe for their players to play in. So these are huge issues. But we covered off on this last season when Hannah Mouncey... This was a big story when Hannah Mouncey uh, applied to play in the AFLW, mm. was playing in Canberra. Yeah. Now, and I, I just want to say something. I want to make a point here. When Simon Lethleen was AFL operations manager, mm. the AFL announced AFLW. To huge fanfare, quite rightfully. I contacted him twice. Twice left messages on his answering, on his voicemail. Now, the second one, clearly pointing why I was calling him. And I was calling him because I wanted to get him on air. Then I was broadcasting at 1116 SEN to talk about what the AFL had put in place for the inevitable time when a transgender individual wanted to play AFLW. And you can get back to you? He was otherwise busy. This was an issue that should have been addressed by the AFL prior to the start of the competition. But nevertheless, in the case of Hannah Mouncey, it was addressed at length and with all parties giving their reasoning last year. We have not had any um, quantum leap developments this year, yet Hannah has appeared on uh, various programs. She appears on Open Mic this week. She's been on current affair programs in primetime television. Mm -hmm. And the question is why? And I think, no, I know it's because the public wants to see Hannah Mouncey and the public wants to hear more about private, not private matters, more about Hannah Mouncey because she's a curiosity. A six foot five male who identifies as a female, 
wants to play football, and the entire story has a, has more than a touch of the public gawking at it. Some, so some who, rubbernecking. So who is your hot? Who is your not directed at? Is All it parties. Directed at, so you think she is sort of uh, pushing her own barrow a bit here? No, I, I believe she's actually responding definitely to the first call, and that is of the cynical, not cynical, but ratings grabbing producers and <coughs> and TV shows yeah. that know that putting Hannah Mouncey, any transgender individual, but one as as glaringly in the spotlight for important reasons as Hannah on, people want to see the man that was a, that was six foot five and a hundred kilos in a floral dress with, you know, a soft falsetto voice talking about footy in her life. Now, it's, it's, a, it's her personal story, mm. but it has been told. Why are we getting it over and over? Well, probably because of what you're saying. I would just say in her defence, I, I think um, this is an important issue for a lot of people and for her. And so she's acting upon those opportunities being offered. So I certainly wouldn't be pointing the finger at her. I, I do take your point about opportunistic media organisations and a uh, gawking sort of public, you know, a, a curiosity yes. factor. But I think she feeds it as well, though. But, but, I, but I would say, again, in her defence, that, you know, the gawking, hopefully if they are exposed to the arguments about this enough, it becomes less gawking and more... Uh, they become more informed and more knowledgeable about the issues involved. And that will be the rationale of anybody involved in any of these programs that has Hannah on. They'll say that we handled handled it sensitively, which they do, and hope for greater public awareness. That's not, I've been involved in TV and radio. That's not why they've got no. Hannah on. Well, well, they'll, but, they'll tell the same story over and over yeah. because the numbers are good. We're both very cynical about the media, finally, and I think these days particularly it pays to be. All right, that was an interesting one. I'm finishing us off with another hot. You might think it's a bit obvious now, but Shane Edwards, uh, BOG by a street in the dream time of the G game. But I was really taken by Damien Hardwick's comments about him saying <clears throat> he'll be one of the best players in the history of the Richmond Football Club. And a lot of people would go, what? But um, clearly, he, he's a much-loved player within the club. Dimmer made a really interesting comment about him, proves everyone around him I thought the other thing worthy of note is that he thinks he has improved every year. When you go back and, well, when you think about it, but also when you look at his numbers year to year, that actually is the case. He's always been a smart player. Perhaps initially he was a player that didn't win enough of the ball. I think he's, as he's grown in confidence, he's certainly won more of the ball. He's up around an average 20 disposals now. But you can really see, particularly against the Bombers, the number of goals he creates for teammates, either through goal assists or... Just clever little taps, knock-ons. Um, he is one of the leading handful of Indigenous players in the game over the last 10 years, I think, and he's a player as responsible as anyone for Richmond making this quantum leap for middle-of-the-road side to reigning Premier. So hats off to Shane Edwards. He's been fantastic. Don't shoot me down for shooting somebody down again, but that's his first really good game for the year. Has just not been able to get a handle on the ball this season. I followed him carefully. And he's definitely somebody who brings others into the game. No question about it. Interestingly, he really plays the second tall forward role there a lot because of that very short forward line. Look, he's very important. He'll always be in the team. But this was the first week he married all the effort with some 
big results right across the stats columns. And when he does that, he is a great player. Well, he picked a good way to do it. Okay, finishes off. And I'm going to hot us with Paul Ahern. Yes. It's a great story. Look, we've had a couple of these probably every year. Feel-good story. Yeah. The Alex Johnson <clears throat> story at Sydney when he made his long away to come back was great. Yeah. But it was sort of not going to be sustained, is it, in terms of his football career, Alex Johnson? Paul Ahern's is. Today was his first game. I think he got 29 touches on debut. Yes, it was against Brisbane in a comfortable win, but you can see why they play him. He knows where the ball is. He's a lovely size, good mover, very good user of the ball. And when you've had two knee reconstructions, two clubs, five years, there must be a time where you think it's just not going to happen. Mm. So you sort of hope it does for a Nathan Freeman as well. He's the other one in the Ahern corner of a long wait. I don't know whether Freeman will be any good at football, but I know Ahern is. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't keep his spot in that team. So wouldn't it be great, not that he played a game of AFL footy, if he could get to 100? Well, for a side that is going as well as North is and looks like they're going to play finals, this is just cream on the cake. I mean, they, they, I mean the improvements come everywhere through a variety of sources, some expected, some unexpected. This one probably in the unexpected boat, but the sum of the parts is making them a, a very dangerous hole. I could, think well, can I add something to the discussion? Do you know there's been a really interesting discussion this year about who the best player in the AFL is. Mm. As the midfielders influence Dusty and Danger, not quite the same. And a lot of people are pointing to Nick Natanui, and they're quite rightly. Now, this is ridiculous. People are going to go, you are insane. There is a player, and I'm telling you, he is brilliant. He's brilliant when he plays back. He's brilliant when he's in the ruck, and he hasn't made a mistake for weeks. Gee, I'd love to have Magjack Dor in my team, and anybody should want to have Magjack Dor in their team because he is playing irresistible football. When he goes near the ball, it's a win for me. Well, North. we talked about confidence players. He's a, another terrific example of one. A good way to finish this off. Elongated, uh, hot or not, perhaps, tonight, and we touched on a couple of serious topics there, so interesting fodder. Now, I hope we haven't fired all our best shots there, Fanny, because now is the part. That was a more reasoned, rational debate Here's a part where we basically go off our crew. It's, you know what that means, Fanny. You it's know, time for Rocco's Crazy Rant Off. Okay, Fanny, as you know, I like to take the piss a bit, as do you in this segment. But I've actually got some serious fodder tonight because I watched a lot of footy over the weekend. And this thing that I'm going to rant about is an indictment on the game. No, I'm not talking about BT doing roaming BT and going to the wrong player. Did you say that one? Uh, no, I didn't. Called because... Harry Cunningham, Will Haywood. Why not? Why not? You should have just called him Mr. C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because hey. yeah, we haven't had commentators making a lot of jokes about the Cunninghams. I think Basil Zemplis did about 68 of them in uh, Friday night's call. Actually, could I just say this? It better less jokes about the Cunninghams when you're on radio, and better to identify which Cunningham has the ball for which team. Because just to say Cunningham, I listened to the radio on Friday night. I was in the car picking up some takeaway. And you need to identify which Cunningham. If there's one on each side, that is really confusing. Well, you know, you, a quick kick by Cunningham. Come on, Fanny. That's very 20, 20th century. You don't want the uh, game getting in the way of the commentators. They are the stars of the show. They are, and you're the star of the rant off, and I'm not quite sure what it's going to be about. So. All right, let's go. Hey, that was good. That... That was almost Winx-like. Yeah, okay. All right. Are you ready? I'm just building up the drama here. All right. I'm 
pissed off about the protected area finding. What the hell does it mean? Why does it vary so much one week to the next? And what is it we're supposed to be protecting anyway? The eyes and the back of a player's head? Seriously, some weeks players are able to just about crawl inside a bloke's jockstrap, even after he's taken a mark. This weekend, for some reason, it was instead like some huge body Bermuda Triangle, with one inevitable result, a 50-metre penalty. That Hawthorne-Port Adelaide game on Saturday was like a 50th-on, 11 of them in the one game, an AFL record, but not the sort of record that does anyone any good. Certainly not the spectacle, which in another dour scrap needed all the help it could get. And just about all of them these days are for infringements of the protected area, the sanctity of which escapes most of us. The 10 metre zone around the mark was supposed to help teams move the ball more fluently, which was supposed to ease congestion, which was supposed to increase scoring. None of it's happened. It was also supposed to be adjudicated consistently, and that's certainly not happening. And not for the first time the AFL has used a sledgehammer to crack a bloody walnut. It's not like opponents encroaching on the space around players where the ball was a big issue. Now what happens? Most of the 50s paid are against players who are clearly having no impact on the options of the guy with the ball, sometimes are even standing behind him. Or players are pinged despite making a genuine attempt to get out of the way of the bloody area. Usually it's against someone whose proximity to the player with the ball is entirely incidental to the action. It's way too dramatic a penalty for the scale of the misdemeanour. It stuffs up the momentum of a game and it's rubbish. Like someone getting hit with a thousand dollar fine for stepping two centimetres over the no smoking line outside the MCG. Oop. Whoops, shouldn't have said that. Those officiating Nazis don't need any encouragement. And knowing how you and I don't mind the odd dart fighting, the AFL will probably throw us in jail next time we light up. I've sort of given up. Well, not sort of. I've given up smoking, mate. So you did you get a $1,000 fine? No, but that's the sort of thing that could happen if we let these people run amok. So you have to rail against it. Because you know what I did when I... It's preemptive railing. You know what I used to do when I smoked? Why? Because I hated that line. Yeah. I would just stand on the right side of the line, inhale, and then that would be my last puff of the cigarette, put away the cigarette legally, still with the smoke within me, then walk over the line, smiling at the official, and... An extreme exhale of smoke in the illegal area. And did one of them come up to you and tell you to suck it back in? No, that said very, very clever. Oh, and the other one was there wasn't actually a painted line at Etihad Stadium. It was the foreline of the roof of the stadium, mm-hmm. which changed depending where the sun was. Ah, very good. So I, I would walk with the, <laughs> so with you, the shadow. So you waited until the shadow was at its uh, minimum. Basically, I was an asshole smoker who was there just to annoy others and pollute them with my own smoke. Uh, that's unlike you to do something like that. It just proves, you know, smokers aren't generally troublesome. So I'm glad that that's something I put behind me. Now, yeah. more seriously, yeah. spot on. It is rubbish. And you know what a rule's rubbish when fans aren't baying for it, they're just scratching their heads when it's delivered. Who, what, when? We're going to give a 50-metre penalty if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time minding your own business. Well, can you work out, can anyone seriously tell me how the lesser protected area, which was five metres, what the difference has been by... Like, what what were we trying to curtail by extending it to 10? I'm still not even sure. It's... You know... I thought when they were enforcing a pre-season, it was one of those, 
over-emphasis of rules that they were just drumming into players during the pre-season that would be backed off during the year proper, which I don't mind when they do that, when they really bore down, bear down on a, on a particular rule so players get the message prior to the start of the year. Now, how can a player who's accidentally sort of um, tracking the game gets into this area and in many cases realises it and is running away from the play with the ball at the time the whistle goes. Uh, so that player is doing everything they can to get away from the player I've, and it's a 50 metre penalty. I've seen guys this season running away like they're yeah. leaving the scene of a crime or something and still get pinged. I'm running away from it. The player hasn't noticed me and that's a 50 metre penalty. It's a strange 50 metre penalty when the guy with the ball sometimes raises his eyebrows and doesn't know why the whistle's gone. All right, you need to focus. You need to focus on your rant. I'm going to count you in. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Three, two, one, rant. I am appalled, absolutely appalled, Rowan, at myself. On the weekend, I did something that I have never done before in some 45 years of following, playing, umpiring football. Yes, I've umpired football, central umpire, a field umpire, for the best part of the last six years. Hung up the whistle at the end of the season. And I was asked on the weekend by my daughter's AFLW team <coughs> to goal umpire. And for the first time in my life, I put on the white jacket, I took the calico flags and made my way to the southern end of the goals at one of the grounds located in the Albert Park Sporting Precinct. And from that point on, I struggled. Boy, did I struggle. First of all, I struggled for fitness. What you say? Yeah, fitness. I don't know, I was running between one post and the other. If it was a goal, I didn't know where I put the flags. Quickly, get the flag, get the flag, wave the flag, wave, 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 wave. Unfortunately, my daughter's team isn't all that good in the opposition, West Brunswick were piling the scores on. I was running around like a headless chook. Flags, semaphoring. Then I realised I wasn't marking my card correctly. I hadn't put enough noxers in. I looked at the scoreboard. I really shouldn't do that. The scoreboard should be looking at me. Oh, boy. It was getting to be... I was like a school kid with homework that was running late and was all building up. I knew I was a goal and maybe two or three behinds behind the actual score. Looking forward to meet my fellow goal umpire at quarter time to find out what the real score was. We met in the middle of the ground. I said, let's check scorecards. He said, what? He didn't have a bloody scorecard. Things were really falling apart. Luckily, the second quarter was a bit easier because I was umpiring the end too, which my daughter's team was kicking. This was the third game in a row that they hadn't scored in, so I knew that I wasn't going to be busy. But I forgot I was busy. I had to semaphore back to the other end, which I forgot to do on two or three occasions, and just saw a guy about two and a half minutes after a goal frantically waving flags at me like an aeroplane was about to land on Fitzroy Street. The whole situation became farcical by the second half. I lost my card. I didn't really have anywhere to mark the scores. I mean, where do you mark scores? Uh, on your hand? Well, that's what I did, on the back of my hand. And so the scores for the third quarter were marked on the back of my hand. We got to the centre of the ground, and this time I kept scores correctly. I took my two flags, looked at the scoreboard, and proudly waved my flags. My younger daughter, who was watching the game and decided to follow me around, was standing too close to me, and I smashed her in the eye with the goal umpire's flag. Um, she ended up 
being attended to by trainers from both teams, bawling her eyes out in the middle of the ground and now has a black eye. Goal umpiring. I used to think it was a simple pursuit for old people who wanted to enjoy the game up close because they couldn't see properly. Well, it's not. It's difficult. Far too difficult for me, Mark Fine. Okay. <laughs> that, that was... Well, a couple of That's observations. That's exactly what happened? No, no, I believe it. A couple of observations. One, the fact that you contrived to lose the scorecard on the middle of a giant expanse of turf. Where no, no, was... we went back to the rooms at halftime. Ah, okay. It's okay. just so typical. You know me. Well, Pens, paper, I, I was, and I, I'm not surprised by that bit of information. <sighs> um, secondly, uh, I admire your capacity to think on the run here because literally... Two seconds before you launched into that rant, I think we we're all under the impression you were actually doing another rant. Oh, yeah. It was about umpires. And I thought, what? How, how can I honestly criticise umpires when I got umpired on the weekend, lost the card, didn't keep the score properly, gave my daughter a black eye? She really had to be attended to, but they rushed out on the ground. I mean, she, right. she was felt like a tree. The DHS didn't turn up and interview you afterwards. <laughs> no, yeah. but it was... You know, I am... Bang! Straight into her face. And where do you keep the flags? Do you in, keep in the canister? No, there were no canisters. This is local football. How many? I really? Do Golden Post have three flags normally? They do. They have yeah, two on the right hand post. That's what I thought. Well, I only got given two flags. Yeah. I started off with the wider part. Yeah. I was running between. Well, them, I see. I'd be. Them. I'd be. No, they actually moved to a two flag in the right canister system about the mid nineteen eighties, I think. So. Goal umpiring aficionados, funny. If you watch the old replays, you will see the umpire hair between the two yeah. posts. Well, that's what I was flags. doing. Mm. Um, in the second half, I kept them in the in the um, slot. Well, I so, put them down the back of my pants. Yeah, well, that's that, what I did. I, I, a, <laughs> so it was a goal. I'd go whoop. Okay, and uh, we'll give the address of the um, the league and the flags concerned. So if you are goal umpiring next weekend in the same competition. You can uh, sanitise uh, them first. It was all. It, it, it's. It was really too much for me. All the. All the bookkeeping. Yeah. Well. The accounting. The damn accounting. No, organisation doesn't strike me as your strong point. I have to. Final be... score: West Brunswick thirteen fifteen, <laughs> collisions, no goals too. Now on that uh, grassroots note, uh, that's all we've got time for this evening. So thanks to your company. Hope your team won. Uh, any final thoughts? Yes. And they are. I'm never going on pouring again. Okay, uh, buy rounds start from next week. So uh, and Thursday night footy starts in a couple of weeks. So in a season that's been a bit all over the shop, we're going to have a, a bit more over over the shopness, finally. And we're all over the shop too. So uh, it should sit very comfortably with us. On that note, uh, a very good evening to you. Very good evening to you all out there. And uh, finally, as we've set the precedent last week, may your football be good football. Good night. <laughs>